Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. I'm Jelaine Schmidt. I'm an associate professor of religious studies at the University of Virginia, and I'm a community organizer with Black Lives Matter Charlottesville, Virginia. All right. So we're wanted to start off by talking about this past weekend where we saw another um, right-wing gathering of Proud Boys and their other uh, white supremacist friends in Portland, Oregon, and would love to get your thoughts on sort of what we saw happen and what... I guess what's changed in the years since the the you know most the largest of the rallies in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very concerned um, in the last week in the lead up to the Portland uh, uh, rally, uh, um, and uh, yeah, I was very concerned that there would be a lot more violence than there ended up being. I mean, you saw what happened there in Portland on June the 30th. You know, with uh, you know many injuries, and there were still people injured on August the fourth, uh, uh, for sure. But I was I was afraid there might be you know lethal injuries. You know, um, so I yeah, it, it's interesting to me. I mean, some of these proud boys came from as far away as Vancouver, and then they picked up some folks in Seattle, I guess, and then came on down to to, to Portland. Uh, you know, for a, la- a rally that's led by supposedly this you know Senate candidate from Washington State, so he's clearly you know. <laughs> Uh, doesn't seem to be campaigning there, but rather he is seems to be playing to a national white nationalist conspira- uh, uh, um, constituency um, there, you know, trying to grow that movement. Um, so I think it's yeah, I think it is important to have there be a vocal, visible uh, group of, of dissenters from this. I think it's important, uh, you know, to not allow. Uh, the far right to kind of just commandeer public spaces uh, uncontested. I think that's important. And one of the things that we saw in Portland that we also saw in Charlottesville and elsewhere is the forces of the state, particularly the police, protecting the white nationalists and sort of cracking down on the counter-protesters. Yeah, well, I saw, you know, really... Uh, you know, sad incident there. I guess in Portland, I just saw this on my Twitter feed that you know the police had fired, uh, you know, what do they call flash bombs or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know hit yeah. a counter protester uh, in the head. And thank goodness he was wearing a helmet because it, it perforated the helmet even, and he was left with a bloodied head. And you know, had he not been wearing the helmet, he might be dead. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, so that is you know just one instance of you know of, of many uh, where it seems like uh, there's more there's prioritizing let's put it that way it seems that the state prioritizes the free speech rights of these far-right provocateurs uh at a higher level than those of us who uh try to uh you know counter protest you know and that's what we saw here in charlottesville you know right and in the past year looking back at charlottesville you've seen people who were counter protesting last summer who have been on trial for, in some cases, having been assaulted. Right, right. I mean, the most famous case, of course, was, you know, DeAndre Harris, a young black man who was assaulted by six white supremacists in the parking garage there on Market Street. Um, six of his assailants, of the six uh, of his assailants, you know, four, only four of them 
have been identified and charged, there are still two outstanding uh, that have not been identified yet. And and even with that, um, were it not for the efforts of just civilians, you know, kind of tweeting out or, you know, putting on social media the photographs of these guys, they never would have been identified because it was clear that the police and the FBI were not expending many resources, you know, for this investigation. Um, and indeed, the leads that the FBI were given were given from, you know, by people who had, uh, you know, just regular civilians, you know, who uh, saw these pictures and said, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I went to high school with him. Or, yeah, I know that guy. I used to work with him. Or, you know, you know this this sort of thing. Um, you know, so were it, were it not for, you know, those sorts of civilian uh, efforts to, um, you know, root out, you know, uh, these these very dangerous uh, uh, individuals, you know, then they would not be brought to justice. And, yeah, and then... Um, one of them, you know, basically weaponized the known white supremacy of the criminal justice system uh, in order to bring charges against DeAndre Harris, you know, accusing him, uh, you know, of, of, you know, starting the violence, you know, as it was, you know, when he was under attack, which was, you know, patently false. But, of course, you know, uh, DeAndre had to, you know, spend a lot of time and, and, you know, mental anguish and, you know, and energy, you know, getting, a, you know, legal defense together in order to contest the charges, which he was ultimately found not guilty of. He was acquitted of. But this okay. is this is a, just an example of how, um, you know, how the, the, the alt-right, yeah, how they how they weaponize uh, the, the, the criminal justice system against uh, uh, anti-racist demonstrators. You know, this is really similar, Sarah. So this is not unlike when women uh, file with the police to have restraining orders taken out against, you know, their male partners who have been violent to them. And then in some of these cases, um, these men then, you know, kind of will, will turn on uh, uh, their, their uh, accuser, their female accuser, and kind of counterfile uh, charges, you know, in an effort to, for instance, get their kids taken away or, you know, to, to just, you know, harass them and this sort of thing. So it's the same kind of strategy of, you know, the, the, the most powerful, most violent, uh, most uh, threatening, you know, elements, you know, making use of the criminal justice system against the most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit more, actually, about the importance of protests in public. A friend of mine commented the other day, and I thought it was a really smart point, that the point of these white supremacist marches, especially when they show up armed like they did in Portland and in, and in Charlottesville, is to not just to, you know, make white supremacy mainstream or keep it mainstream, but to force everybody else out of the public space, right, to commandeer the public space. And so why it's important then to meet them with bigger crowds to refuse to let Mm -hmm. them take that space. Yeah. Well, I think it's both and. I think, yes, they're trying to push, uh, you know, decent citizens, you know, out of the public square, anyone who opposes white supremacy. Um, out of the public square uh, and also uh, to normalize their movement because part of what they're doing is they really uh, like to go to places with iconic uh, vistas, you know, whether it's this, you know, statue of the Lee statue or to Mount Vernon, Washington's uh, estate up in northern Virginia. That's where Identity Europa went a few months ago, uh, you know, or, you know, other other places, you know. Uh, and they like to have clean, unobstructed sight lines between themselves and what, whatever iconic place where they are, university auditoriums, for instance, you know, the Oval Office, um, you know, because that makes it is very good for their recruitment. You see, this makes for very good propaganda videos. For instance, here, you know, May the 13th, that was the first 
torch rally, May the 13th, 2017, was right. the first alt-right torch rally here in Charlottesville. Some 150 uh, white supremacists, you know, gathered uncontested. They, you know, caught us flat-footed by surprise, you know. Um, and then, of course, August the 11th, around the Jefferson statue at the University of Virginia, again, largely uncontested. And then August, the, or excuse me, October the 7th, 2017, they had a third torch rally here in Charlottesville, uh, also, you know, catching us uh, by surprise. So what that makes for, that's what they like for their propaganda videos. That's what they like to circulate um, yeah. online is that, see, I mean, and, and Spencer even said that uh, last August the 11th, you know, uh, on the steps of the rotunda at the, at the University of Virginia that, look, we just took over, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they want they want spaces cleared of the rest of us, and especially those of right. us who are people of color, you know. Um, but, but they're also trying to, to grow their movement. It's a strategy. And so that's why it's important to, yes, show up in greater numbers. There's, there's safety in numbers, you know, uh, to say, no, we won't allow you. Uh, to scare us away, and we won't allow you to, you know, to take over public spaces and to, to normalize uh, uh, with your appearances there, you know, your right. movement. Yeah. So it is interesting to me to talk about normalizing their appearance when you look at the, you know, they show up in sort of costume and, and uh, you know, like sort of homemade armor in a lot of places. Some of the photos that come out of Portland, right, where you see people, and, like, they look like Star yeah. Wars characters. Uh, right. I mean, and there is an internal looks like there. Well, right. And they do have this internal debate among the alt-right themselves. Some of them really right. object to that, you know, and they say this makes us look like LARPers, you know, live, live action role players, you know, and, and yeah. um, that this isn't good for, you know, trying to grow the movement. You know, we want to rather look normal and have, you know, um, Fred Perry polo shirts and khaki pants and sharp haircuts, you know, and, you know, so they they are having a question about optics, the whole optics debate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and so going up on looking forward to the anniversary of what everybody just refers to as Charlottesville now, um, they're planning a rally now in Washington, D.C., um, that mm -hmm. speaking of the state and public services being used to coddle them, um, there was a brief discussion of the Metro having special cars to get I the know. White House to... Uh, right. Right, and that's just that's what they want. Hey, all white cars on the train—that's what they want anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're—that's what they're pushing for, you know. So yeah, that was outrageous that that was even an idea that was considered. I mean, for heaven's sake. Yeah, fortunately that discussion was quashed, but only because the union of the Metro right. Transit, you know, authority, uh, you know, uh, workers, you know, stood up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at that, that's like the only reason we even heard about it was the union said, uh, no, right. no, we're not doing that. Right, and it just shows the, the importance then of having a broad-based coalition of folks fighting against white supremacy, you know, uh, you know, uh, working people, students, you know, everybody, you know, has a role to play in this, so yeah. Yeah, and so looking again at the anniversary here they've certainly said they want to come back to charlottesville on the anniversary like they want to dance on people's graves. um and so what are you what are people preparing for on you know on august 11th yeah well i mean the students at the university of virginia the activists um are planning to have a vigil at the jefferson statue on the night of august the 11th in the evening and they have um ask for faculty to come and to join them and to show our support of them and to wear our academic robes as we do so. It's kind of a, you know, a, a visual, uh, you know, um, 
symbol, you know, of our kind of, you know, academic role. And, 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 uh, so yeah, we plan to be there for that. Um, I am, you know, I, I'm not aware, you know, at the moment of, uh, you know, plan. I mean, they're certainly not going to be coming in any great numbers. They all rise, mm-hmm. you know, to Charlottesville. This, I, I would be, well, color me shocked if that were to occur. This time last year, I was very worried. You know, all indications were it was going to be a big melee, you know of hundreds of, of, of these people coming in. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case now. Our local white supremacist organizer here, he hardly has any allies anymore. He's been abandoned even by, you know, the folks that, you know, even the most hard-boiled of, of the alt-right that marched with him, such as Christopher Cantwell, you know, the crying Nazi. Um, they've abandoned, you know, they've abandoned him. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to be, yeah, maybe there'll be a flash mob. I don't know. Can't, it's hard to plan, you know. But the activists are having um, a series of, of public events on Tuesday and Wednesday night, uh, tomorrow and the next day. Uh, kind of public-facing, uh, you know, public forums, uh, one on why we protest, just kind of explaining, just as I have now, why it's important to show up in public uh, when these white supremacists gather, you know. And then the next night, Wednesday night, uh, the panel will be um, some activist attorneys talking about how uh, First Amendment arguments get weaponized against uh, progressives and people of color, color and everyone who opposes white supremacy, uh, and how uh, again it seems that the state prioritizes the free speech uh, uh, rights of of the white supremacists, you know, more than those who of us who oppose them. And so we're gonna we are gonna see the rally in D.C. whether or not they get their own metro cars. Um, yeah. And what are you expecting to see there? And this is, they want to do this, as you were saying, visual, they want to do this right in front of the White House. Yeah, I kind of wondered about that. Are they protesting against Trump? Or I, I don't quite understand why they <laughs> selected that space. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I I presume, I mean, they'll be met with a you know fair number of counter-demonstrators that will greatly outnumber them. You know, that's that's what it looks like it will be. You know, and so in Charlottesville in the last year, then sort of, what do you think has changed, and what still needs to change? Yeah, well, there have been much broader discussions among a broader um, range of the public about what white supremacy actually is. And um, much more discussion of how it's not just Nazis marching in your streets or Confederate monuments, you know, in your parks, but but rather there's, you know, a whole system of interlocking policies, you know, that uh, are supportive of white supremacy. And so we've been having a lot of discussions publicly um, about, for instance, affordable housing, you know, and how uh, how folks are being gentrified out, particularly residents of color being gentrified out of the city. We've been having conversations about policing, you know, because this, what happened with the summer of hate here in Charlottesville was that it laid bare, you know, the problems we have with policing. On the one hand, with the Klan rally on July the 8th, the police attacked us with tear gas, the counter demonstrators, that is. Yeah. And on the case of August the 11th, of course, they stood down and allowed the, the uh, white supremacists to attack us. So, right. what, what was brought up in the aftermath is that actually there's been a problem with police for a long time. You know, the stop and frisk rates here, you know, 80% of the stop and frisk uh, are against uh, people of color, even though we're only about 20% of the population, you know. 
Um, so then, for instance, we pushed for a civilian police review board, you know, which we which we got. You know, this was something that that came out of uh, of everything that happened, you know, and also a greater push for for public housing. So how can people keep up with you and with the other activists of Black Lives Matter and other groups in Charlottesville? And what can people do to support and to combat white supremacy when it shows up in the streets like this? Yeah. Well, you can follow us uh, on Twitter, um, at Solid Seville. That's the activist media collective, Solidarity Seville. Um, follow Black Lives Matter um, on Facebook, Black Lives Matter Charlottesville, that is. Uh, follow Surge, Showing Up for Racial Justice on, on, on Facebook uh, as well. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, Democratic Socialists of America chapter here is also very active, as is Uvasu, which is the uh, Virginia, University of Virginia students. So, yeah, so we're all, you know, pretty active on social media, you know, and, um, yeah, and we, for instance, there's a city council meeting tonight, and our city council meetings here in Charlottesville are epic, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, we're, we're civics nerds here, and especially in the last two years, as we've had this public debate about what to do with Confederate monuments and then the um, the growth of the alt-right and the alt-right rallies and the aftermath, I mean, our city council chambers are full at every meeting, and tonight we'll be discussing um, how the police are basically shutting down uh, the uh, the city. Like, there will be no city services, no parks, no recreation centers will be open. Um, our downtown area will be highly regimented uh, with many law enforcement agencies. You know, streets are blocked off and this sort of thing. So it feels like the, the, the residents of Charlottesville that we're being made to bear the brunt of the failure of policing last year. You know, so we're very upset about that. So we'll be talking to city council about that tonight. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I really feel that Charlottesville has an advanced case of what is coming to the rest of the country. We've seen it in Portland, mm -hmm. saw it a bit in Berkeley, and then I guess now Seattle is the next stop of the clown show, you know, and on August 18th. Um, so this seems to be a pattern that these folks, these white supremacists, like to cloak themselves in the mantle of we're just having a First Amendment rally or this is a patriot prayer meeting or, you know, all, all these sorts of things in order to mobilize and to recruit, propagandize, that sort of thing. Um, and they have their hero, you know, in the White House. And we have a, you know, a Justice Department, you know, <laughs> headed by a, you know, a mendacious, open racist, you know, in Jeff Sessions. And and we have a president that's trying to shut down an uh, independent inquiry into, you know, all of the, uh, uh, you know, collusion which occurred with Russia. And on that note, I should say that these are not separate issues. The whole Russia investigation and the whole, you know, the, this uprising in the, in the alt-right um, whenever they come here to Charlottesville and gather these white supremacists, one of their favorite chants is, Russia is our friend. You know, they're very enamored of Putin. Of course, they're very enamored of Trump, you know. And the connection here is that Putin is also an ethno-nationalist, you know, who has silenced critics and this sort of thing, yeah? Um, so I would encourage Americans, you know, to sit up, pay attention, protest, you know, uh, there is a direct connection between uh, the, this whole, the Russia investigation and the rise of white supremacy here, you know, this is being used. Um, and like I said, you know, Charlottesville has an advanced case of this. It was, you know, very extreme, you know. But this, these uh, folks, these white supremacists who gather in public spaces, they're basically vigilante enforcers of the Trump regime, you know. Yeah. And so that, that's another reason. People need to get accustomed to 
showing up and protesting. Okay? People need to, you know, get off the fence, get off it, get out of their Facebook threads and, you know, actually come out to the street, you know, and get, get accustomed to being in a space of dissidence, you know, and, and, and protest. And, you know, it's like your country needs you. A lot of people of color, you know, we're suffering more than others, you know, um, under this onslaught. And so it's, it's time to, you know, it's time to get active. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at NecessaryTrouble.org. Thanks for listening.